Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that uh, it speaks to this issue of unity and humility. And God, we ask you this morning that you would be with us as we uh, consider what you have to say to us in your word. God, we ask that uh, you would help me to be faithful to the text of the scripture here this morning. And God, we ask that you would uh, be at work in us by your spirit. God, that you would continue the work of conforming us to the image of your son. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever found yourself in a situation where conflict and disunity was the norm? Maybe it was at work where coworkers were continually bickering and jockeying for position. Or perhaps you've experienced this even within your own family, uh, where disagreements and misunderstandings seem to be the order of the day. Or sadly, you may have experienced this even within your local church. In those moments, we can feel frustrated, helpless, and even angry. And I don't think any of us delight in relational conflict. We all long for peace and harmony in our relationships, especially within the church. And this is the situation facing the church at Philippi that Paul is addressing in his letter. And the Philippians were facing their own internal conflict with various factions vying for power and influence within the church. It was a, a difficult situation, and, and you can hear Paul's heart that his heart was heavy for his dear friends in the church in Philippi. Um, yet even in the midst of this conflict, Paul is holding out hope for restoration and reconciliation. He knew that there was a solution, a way to overcome the divisions and, and come together in love and harmony. And that the solution that Paul puts forth here is to have the mind of Christ. To walk in the humility that is both empowered by and is the result of the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. The solution to disunity in the church is to have the mind of Christ. To walk in the humility that is both empowered by and, in, and is the result of the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus. But before we jump into the text, I want to uh, set the stage for us, a little bit of background for the church in Philippi. Philippi was distinguished as a Roman colony. Its citizens were not merely subjects of Rome. They had the honor of being considered citizens of Rome. If you happen to look back at Acts chapter 16, you will read there the account of how Paul and his companions, uh, Timothy and Silas, uh, came to preach the gospel in Philippi. If you remember, uh, look back at verse 6 and following of Acts chapter 16. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man 
of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Um, After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so they sailed to Macedonia and eventually to the city of Philippi. Uh, If you remember, Paul and Silas, when they first came to preach the gospel, uh, they, they met some women by the river who were praying and preached the gospel to them. Uh, but shortly after this, uh, Paul and Silas were arrested and beaten, thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. And of course, you remember this is how the Philippian jailer came to uh, hear and believe the gospel of Jesus. So now it is about 10 years later. Paul again is in prison. Um, and he has heard that there is a conflict in this young church in Philippi. And so he's writing to them to call them to unity in Christ. He starts by calling the church to humility and unity, saying, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. How rich and deep are the words of Paul here. He speaks of the encouragement we have in Christ, the comfort we receive from his love, the participation we enjoy in the spirit and the affection and fellowship we share with one another. Can you feel the weight of what Paul is saying here? His call to humility is grounded in our union with Christ and its many benefits. He couches this this if-then statement. Um, Actually, I I used to look at this and think, oh, this is a very interesting if-then statement. This is a powerful if-then statement. He says, if you enjoy any of the encouragement, comfort, and tenderness that come from knowing Jesus, That's a pretty big if. If you've experienced any of the blessings of being united with Christ, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. This is a call to unity and like-mindedness in our relationships with those whom we serve and live together in the body of Christ. And it's a reminder to each of us that our life in Christ is not just a collection of individual experiences, but we are a shared community of believers who are united to Christ by the power of the Spirit. I think this is one of the crucial points to grasp here. We're not merely a collection of individuals who have individual relationships with Christ. We have been called together, born again into a new family. I think by and large, the early church understood this. This is why they began calling one another brothers and sisters. I think this is something that's very lost, very much so lost on the American church. Therefore, us. We're a shared community, a family, united to one another in Christ by the power of the Spirit. As a result, we're called to live in unity 
when conflicts arise, to put aside our own agendas and preferences in order to pursue the peace and health of the body of Christ. And notice in the next couple of verses, in 3 and 4, notice how Paul emphasizes the importance of humility in our relationships with one another. Humility is the recipe for unity. Paul, uh, the basis for unity here is that Paul is calling us, uh, that Paul is calling us to is the work that Jesus has done in us described in verses 1 and 2. But humility is the character of our unity. He's, he's urging us, excuse me, he's urging uh, these within the church to set aside their pride and selfishness and instead value others above themselves. It's not just a call to be polite. <clears throat> I think we're pretty good at that. Um, we're really good at being polite and avoiding confrontation. But rather, this is a call to truly value and esteem others more highly than ourselves. More important than ourselves. That's a difficult call. It's a call to cultivate a spirit of unity and love that comes from being united with Christ. Verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, What does it mean to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? It means that we're not to pursue our own agendas or desires at the expense of others. We're not to be so focused on our own needs and wants that we are blind to the needs of those around us. Instead, we're to walk in humility, considering others more important than ourselves. This means actively seeking to meet the needs and serve them rather than always looking out for our own interests. This is a call to radical humility. If it sounds foreign to you, it sounds foreign to me when I read this and I consider, do I walk like this? Is this how I live? I have to fall at the foot of the cross. This call to humility is particularly relevant in our culture. And when I say our culture, I mean our culture, not just the culture out there. Um, Like it or not, we swim in the same waters. Um, We need to pray the Lord would change our hearts. So our culture is, it often seeks values, self-promotion, and self-centeredness that's so natural to our human nature. The messages that are constantly telling us to prioritize ourselves, our own interests and desires above all else. But as believers, we're called to walk differently. We're called to put our own agendas on the back burner and instead value others above ourselves. How do we cultivate this kind of unity? The next few verses, verses 5 through 8, is often labeled as Christ's example of humility. 
And that's what it is. But um, what is described here is not merely an example that we're supposed to try and follow. It's a description of Christ's accomplishment of the gospel. And it's what enables us to walk in humility. Paul tells us in verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pause right there because this verse is the key to grasping this passage. Have this mind among yourselves. The mind of being of the same mind, of having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. What he's already said. He says, have this mind among yourselves. This mindset is yours in Christ Jesus, Paul tells us. It is the fruit of the Spirit at work in and transforming us into the image of Christ. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In these verses, Paul describes the ultimate expression of humility. Christ himself. I want to unpack this for just a few minutes. We can't really dig very deeply into it. We don't really have time. There's a lot here. But we might first note that Um, verses 6 through 11 are believed to be a hymn of the early church. Paul is saying that Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who is God himself, chose to empty himself of his divine privileges and become a servant. He willingly took on human form and subjected himself to the limitations and suffering of of humanity. And ultimately, he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. He did this to accomplish the ultimate act of sacrificial love and to demonstrate what it means to truly value others above ourselves. And in so doing, he became, uh, he gave us the ultimate example of humility. And through the work of the Spirit, he enables us to walk in it. But I want us to notice that this act of sacrificial love, the whole, the whole hymn that we see here is, as a matter of fact, it's first and foremost not about us. Read through it. It's, it's oriented not toward humanity. It's oriented toward the Father in humble obedience. We could notice also that though Christ's obedience is oriented toward the Father, the humility is oriented toward us, or in relation to us, rather. So his obedience and love are primarily toward the Father. But the result of that obedience is a humble relationship toward the people he is serving. Christ's humility of mind is... um, not just an example for us to follow. His humility has been given to us by faith. By faith, his work of humility becomes ours. 
This is an example of what it means to live the Christian life by faith. So we cannot walk according to this principle of the standard of God's righteousness. When I, when I look at, at what is described here in Christ's humility, in my own strength, I can't do that. I can only do that by faith in what Christ has already done. It doesn't do away with the imperative. We're called to walk in the good works that he has prepared beforehand. Ephesians chapter 2. Christ's humility is now available to us as a gift to walk in. When we put our faith in Christ, we're given the Holy Spirit who empowers us to have this mindset that is in Christ. It's not just a matter of trying to imitate Christ's humility in our strength. It's, it's relying on the work of Christ that he has already accomplished for us, looking to him in faith. What is the ultimate goal of this transformation? It's not just so that we can be better people or have healthier relationships with one another. Those things are important. The ultimate goal is that our humility and love for one another would magnify the glory of God. And that others would see the love that we have for one another and they would know that we are his disciples. When we value others above ourselves and seek their interest, we're demonstrating the results of the selfless love that Christ has accomplished. So yes, let us look to Christ as an example to follow. And as we do so, let us look in faith to the work that he has done for us through his obedience. Oriented toward the Father in obedience, resulting in humility toward one another. And so, may our hearts be transformed by the Holy Spirit. May our humility and love for one another um, point others toward, uh, toward God and Christ by faith. In this last section, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is not just a mere footnote to Christ's example of humility. Christ, in his obedience and humility, accomplished the mission of redemption. God has highly exalted him. As he said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the Lord of glory. Not only has he, through the work on the cross, accomplished our redemption, he has risen. He has ascended to the Father. He is seated on the throne, and he is worthy of all praise. It is this king of glory who has redeemed this family. And these members of the family about whom we are to look to their interests more highly than our own, about whom we are to count ourselves more significant than ourselves. It is his mind 
about these things that we are to have by faith through the work of his spirit. So what does this look like in practice? We're called to have the mind of Christ. It's not a call to mere surface level behavior. Like I said, we're not just called to be polite and avoid confrontation with one another. I think we're generally pretty good at that. Rather, it requires a deep and genuine transformation of the heart. Romans chapter 12, Paul urges us to let our love be genuine without hypocrisy. This means that our pursuit of humility and valuing others above ourselves must be rooted in a sincere love for them. Not merely a desire to appear, uh, just walk in appearance, performing and pretending. To cultivate this genuine love, we must look to God and his work in us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Paul gives us a glimpse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, often referred to as the love chapter. He describes love as patient, kind, not envious or boastful, not proud or rude, not self-seeking or easily angered, not keeping records of wrongs, rejoicing with the truth, always protecting, trusting, hoping, and preserving. This kind of love requires dying to self and putting the needs and interests of others first. We see that this kind of love is at the heart of true humility. Christ's self-emptying was not a mere show of humility for the sake of appearing virtuous. Rather, it was an outpouring of genuine love for the Father and for us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Love, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As we seek to have the mind of Christ, then let's put aside our selfish desires and agendas and seek to truly value others above ourselves. We must do so not just for the sake of appearance. I know I sound like a broken record. I keep repeating the same thing because that's what we need to hear. Um, But in sincere love for one another, pointing one another to Christ, praying for one another, that our hearts would be oriented toward Christ. In practical terms, it means taking the time to listen to others, seeking to understand their perspectives, their experiences, and praying for one another. And putting aside our own preferences and desires at times in order to serve and care for one another. It means being quick to forgive, slow to anger, seeking to build up and encourage those around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
you have shown us your good way. And in grace, God, you've given us your righteousness by faith. You've given us your spirit. God, we pray that you would be at work in us. God, we ask that you would continue this work of transformation. God, help us to have the mind of Christ. God, help us, grant us faith to rest in your work. and Grant us the humility to truly love one another. God, that your great and glorious name would be glorified in our midst. God, we ask that the community around us would see our love for one another and they would know that we are your disciples. God, we ask that you would be glorified in our midst. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.